How are you? It's good to see you. I got to tell you, the last thing you want someone to say before you come up to speak is they have a really good message for you because it sets a really unnecessarily high bar. I'd rather have you have really low expectations that I surpass. So it's going to be mid, as my kids say. That's what we're shooting for is like a solid base hit on any given sermon. Uh, It is a huge honor to be here. Um, As he said, I've been here in the Valley. Uh, We planted Formation Church uh, just over five years ago. Dave Nelson is the first pastor that I met when I moved here, as is true for a lot of pastors that I've met here in the Valley. And he and K2 have both been uh, incredibly generous and kind to me and to our church. And so it's an honor to be able to serve him uh, as he's away tonight and to be able to serve you. And so before we jump in, I just want to invite you to close your eyes, if you would, and we're going to pray and ask that the Spirit of God would open our hearts to hear and receive what he has for us today. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you are a good God and that you are a good Father. And and Lord, even that word and that title is very complicated for many of us. And so, Lord, we thank you that Uh, You define what a father is meant to be. And you are patient, you are nurturing, you are loving, and you are gracious, and you are kind. And I pray that tonight, as we sit with you and we sit with your word, that we would feel the reality of that. And we thank you that you have given us your word, not so that we can know how to check all the right boxes and obey all the right rules so that you will love us, but because it teaches us that you are a God who already loves us and that you have given your son Jesus in our place for our sin so that we could be reconciled to relationship with you. And so Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be faithful to do what you always do when your word is opened and when we listen attentively, you speak to us through it. And so we invite you to do that this evening. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to receive what you would say to us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Well, I I, I can't obviously speak for everybody, but um, I actually came to faith at a very young age. I was only seven years old. Uh, I was in a little Assemblies of God church. I remember it was very hot that night. And uh, at the end of the pastor's sermon, he gave an altar call. And at seven, I very bravely marched that aisle and uh, surrendered my life to Christ. I got baptized just about a month later in a lake. I did get baptized the next summer as well. I just wanted to make sure that it took. And uh, so I actually don't remember a time in my life when I was not in church and when I wasn't in relationship with God. And despite that very long history that I've had of life with God, in early 2019, I started to have this experience that truthfully I hadn't really had in over 35 years of life with God. I started to become increasingly dissatisfied with my relationship with Jesus. And not dissatisfied in the sense that that other people have experienced where it's like, I'm done with this, I don't want any part of this anymore. But in the sense of like, by God's grace, I really started to have this very deep longing inside of me that I wanted more from my relationship with God. I wanted to see his face more clearly. I wanted to hear his voice more unmistakably. And I wanted to feel his love 
more profoundly than what I had been. And here's how it, how it really started to happen for me. Around that time, and I didn't do this consciously, but I just as I was reading the scriptures, I really began to compare my own faith experience to the experience of so many people that we read about in the scriptures. So I started to compare my faith experience to people like Moses and Hannah in the Old Testament, King David, uh, Peter or Paul or Mary. And as I compared my experience with theirs, um, I just started to see that there was this vast difference, this sea of difference between their experience with God and my own. And so again, like I've been reading the Bible since I was very young. And so none of these stories were new to me, but for some reason, after all these years, I was really struck for the first time by how close these people seemed to God. They talked to him and heard from him. And if I'm honest, they really seemed to love him in a way that I did not. And so for instance, one day I was just like stopped in my tracks when I was reading Exodus 33, 11. I'd probably read this verse literally a hundred times in my life before this, but there was something about this day. Listen to Exodus 33, 11. It says, the Lord would speak with Moses face to face the way that a man speaks with his friend. Compare that to your prayer time. <laughs> That's like that, that sense, that feeling is what started to create this sense of dissatisfaction in me. Now, obviously I understand Moses had like a super unique relationship with God, but I was in this season that I couldn't even recall the last time that God felt genuinely near to me, much less anything that resembled an authentic friendship. And that longing would specifically show up in my prayer life. And so like many, many people, including many of you who are here tonight, my prayer time largely consisted of me informing God of all of my perceived needs. So each day I would pray what I just referred to as my list. I'd pray for myself. I'd pray for my wife. I'd pray for my kids, my family, my friends, my church. And I remember this one specific early morning in the little townhouse that we were living in when we first moved here. It was my kids were, I have to get up real early to pray before my kids wake up and always have just so, so early. So it was still dark outside. I didn't turn any lights on in the living room for fear of waking them up. And uh, I remember getting done with my list and I remember this thought popping into my head. I thought, if I never do that again, I think I'd be okay. Which is not exactly what you want to hear from your pastor when he's done praying. And so it was a real weird, jarring experience for me. And to be fair, prayer prayer's never felt like, maybe this is different for you, but mo this is true for most people that I've talked to. Like prayer has never been super easy for me, but I had never experienced a season when the pull not to pray felt so strong for me. And so that particular morning prompted two thoughts that just started this season of wrestling. And the first thought was, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep doing this. Following Jesus had ceased feeling like a relationship and it was becoming little more than this set of religious obligations. And I just sustained the way that that felt. And I knew this is not sustainable. I don't have like 50 more years of this in my life. And then the second thought was there must be more than this. Because I saw this expression of relationship with God in the scriptures that was so different from what I was experiencing, I had a sense of curiosity. I had a sense of hope that maybe 
just maybe things could actually be different. And by God's grace, as I've come to find out and experience over the last few years, there is so much more. There is a depth of intimacy with God that I had never experienced. And little did I know that in the midst of all of this dissatisfaction and restlessness and and wrestling, that, that God was already gently directing me down the path. It just turned out that the path was very different than I ever would have predicted. And so out of this came a transforming but sobering lesson. And it's really this one singular big idea that I want to share with you tonight. And so if you're a note taker and you like to write stuff down, that's fine. Otherwise, you can just listen. But the big idea is this. Most of us settle for God at a distance when intimate relationship is offered. Most of us just settle for it. Like we even read the scriptures. We read about these things that happen. We read about these relationships with God. And we think, well, maybe that's the way that God related with people then. That's definitely not been my experience. And so we just settle for distance in our relationship with God. Meanwhile, God, our very good father, has offered intimacy to us. And I know that word intimacy makes some people, men in particular, very uncomfortable. All it really means is genuine, sincere, close relationship. That's offered to us. And we settle for God at a distance. And what I've come to learn is that we settle for God at a distance primarily out of fear. While it can, that fear can have a thousand different faces, it's fear that causes us to forfeit the very quality of friendship with God for which we all long. And so my goal tonight is really simple. It's twofold. I want to establish this fear as a universal human problem. It's not unique to me. It's not unique to you. It's not unique to our generation. This has been true of all people since Eden. So I want to establish it as a universal problem. And then we want to look to Israel and Moses in particular for insight for a way forward. How do we make our way toward more? And so I want to call this message God at a Distance. And if you have a Bible or a mobile app that you like to read on, you can open up to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, I believe all the scripture will be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, don't sweat that. If you're new to the scriptures, Exodus is the second book in the Bible. So it's just Genesis, Exodus. Find chapter 20. We're going to be in verses 18 to 21. And here's what's happening leading up to verse 18. God has just delivered his people, Israel, from over 400 years of slavery in Egypt. So if you think COVID felt long, imagine 400 years, multiple generations being born and dying in slavery. That was Israel's experience for 400 years. God delivers them. And then as we come to chapter 20, God gives Moses the 10 commandments in the full sight of Israel. And these verses, 18 to 21, don't describe the law. The verses prior lay out the 10 commandments for us. These verses do something different. They teach us about Israel's experience of seeing God do this, and it tells us about how they responded to that experience. And so that brings us up to verse 18. So listen to how this starts. It says, all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the ram's horn, and the mountain surrounded by smoke. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. So here's what I want you to notice there. God draws near to his people. 
God's people here are experiencing what theologians would call his manifest presence. The Bible speaks about God's presence in two ways. There is his omnipresence, which is the reality that there is nowhere we go that God is not. So God is here with us in this room right now. When you leave and go into the parking lot or go eat your brisket, God's gonna be out there. I especially think that God is uniquely present with smoked meats. So he'll be there. When you get home, God's gonna be there. When you go back to work on Monday, God's going to be there. There is nowhere you go. You have never breathed one breath in which God was not present. But the Bible also talks about God's manifest presence, which are these unique times in places when God reveals the reality that he is there. And that's what they're experiencing here. God was in their midst. And this awareness for them provokes three responses a deep emotional one, a physical one, and a relational one. So notice emotionally, the text says they were afraid. Physically, it says they trembled, which is the response that we have physically when we are afraid. And then relationally, the text says that they chose to stand at a distance. Now, I have noticed that when I read the scriptures and then oftentimes when we do, we kind of come with this sort of judgmental eye. And so we read about this and we go, I wouldn't stand at a distance. If I was Israel, I would be leaning in. I would be drawing near. I want to be in the midst of an experience like that. No, you wouldn't. We would do exactly what Israel did. And we need to understand that their fear here is entirely understandable because the very last experience that they had had with thunder and lightning as a sign of God's presence was in the context of the plagues in Egypt. So you can read about that. The experience was very similar to this one here. You can read about it in Exodus 9, 23 to 26. And so despite the fact that that those plagues resulted in their liberation and in their freedom, just imagine, like if you think about what you know about the plagues that took place in Egypt, think about how traumatizing of, a fa- of, of an experience that would have been for them. Like it's kind of shocking that we even teach that story in Sunday schools because it's pretty horrifying what happens. You'd need so much therapy after walking through that experience, even if you were on God's side in the midst of it. And so in their minds, as they're having this experience, their present response was the result of their prior experience. So think about, let me give you another example of how this works. Last year, uh, we were on a family vacation and my 13-year-old son, Ryder, was stung by a jellyfish while snorkeling. And as soon as he came up out of the water screaming, I knew exactly what happened because I had the exact same experience when I was almost the exact same age. And so if you've never experienced being stung by a jellyfish, it is excruciatingly painful. And because you don't really see them, you don't really understand what happened, you're just in the water and you go from elation, this is the most fun day I've ever had in my life, to my whole body's on fire and I think I'm in hell. That's what it feels like to be stung by a jellyfish. So here's what I noticed. Up to that point, we'd all been swimming and playing in the ocean freely with no thought about anything other than how fun that was. But the moment that Ryder got stung, I noticed, this was true of me too, we were all just a little bit more reluctant to rush back into the ocean. And the reason was the last time one of us was in the ocean, someone got stung by a jellyfish and had this very painful experience. And so that present 
reluctant response was the result of a very painful prior experience. And this is why Israel is afraid here. And so notice their response. Look at verse 19. They said, you speak to us and we will listen. They said to Moses, but don't let God speak to us or we will die. Moses responded to the people, don't be afraid for God has come to test you so that you will fear him and will not sin. So one thing is very, very clear in this story. Israel wants distance from God. And as a result, they ask Moses to mediate. They say, you speak to God, tell us what he says, and we will listen to you. So they wanted a human buffer between themselves and God. And we have to see that everything that was driving their response was fear-based. And the distance was designed to de-escalate their fear, but it also had a very unfortunate consequence. It drove them from God. That's what the fear did. Now, Moses, to his credit, tries to soothe their fear by explaining God's intent. He said, hey, guys, God is not here to harm you. He's here to test you. Now, the Hebrew word that we translate into English as test is is the English word is kind of misleading. I would argue it's actually not the best English word that we could use to translate the Hebrew word. Because when we hear the word test, we, we, it, we in English, it means like to find out. So you take a test in school to find out if you understand something. But the Hebrew word actually uses this word test in the sense of experience. And so what Moses is saying, he's saying, man, you guys don't need to be afraid. God is giving you here a taste of himself a taste of his presence in your midst so that this memory will be encoded in your mind and keep you from straying away from him. So they were afraid that God's intent was to harm them, but his intent was to give them an experience that would create a sense of reverential awe inside of them that would lead them to actually trust him more deeply. But sadly, despite Moses' best attempt, the people are unconvinced. Look at verse 21. It says, and the people remained standing at a distance as Moses approached the total darkness where God was. So notice those two very differing responses. Israel, the text says, remained standing at a distance. They let fear drive distance between them and God. But Moses approached the total darkness where God was. And what we have to pay attention to is that both of those responses foster an effect on relationship. Israel settled for God at a distance, but Moses faced his own fear and he experienced an ever deepening relationship with God because he did so. And like Israel, you and I have a choice. We can either settle for God at a distance or we can enter the darkness of fear and we can experience more of God. And so let's unpack practically a little bit more what that means and really look at what I guess I would just call three lessons from the life of Israel, okay? The first one is this. Number one, to reiterate this, because we need to be clear on this, fear forces distance in relationship. That's true in our human relationships and it's also true in our relationship with God. Fear forces distance in relationship. 
Now, I, I would argue again that based on the overwhelming number of examples of this that we see in the scriptures, truthfully, going all the way back to Genesis chapter three, fear is the primary reason we settle for God at a distance. We're afraid of what it will cost for us to draw near to God. And that fear can have an almost countless number of faces, meaning the specific fear that God is inviting each of us to face can vary greatly. So some of us, for instance, might just fear intimacy in general. We fear the notion of being fully known. Others of us might fear judgment. We think, man, man, I know there's some stuff in my past and there's certainly still some stuff in my present that is not what God wants. And if I get too close, I'll feel him judge me. Some of us fear surrender. We think following Jesus is gonna mean surrendering control of my present and surrendering control of my future. And I'm not willing to let go of that. Some of us fear rejection. We think based on what I've done or based on what has been done to me, there's just no way that God would welcome me. And I would argue that to some degree, I think all of us fear the discomfort of growing intimacy with God. We think, I I just honestly don't want the inconvenience that comes with walking close to God. And so what I want you to notice is how despite the specific nature of our fear might differ when we allow it to rule our response to God, it always comes with the same cost. Bowing to fear forfeits intimacy with God. So the first lesson that we learn from the life of Israel is that fear forces distance in relationships. Secondly, we learn this. We must understand God's heart toward us. We must understand God's heart toward us. At its core, Israel's failure here was one of not knowing and trusting God's heart. They thought that he meant them harm when his true intent was only ever their healing. And so God designed even this experience to give birth to reverence and to awe so that they would listen to him, so that they would trust him, so that they would obey him. The the very three behaviors that position us to flourish in life with God. But sadly, they misunderstood God's heart toward them. So this is kind of like how kids, for instance, are prone to miss their parents' heart toward them. I have three kids, and even though they're not little, little anymore, they still have a tendency to miss my heart and on, on a number of different occasions. And it usually centers around some decision that my wife or I make that runs contrary to their desires. So video games are still an, a, a constant example of this. It does not matter how long we allow them to play. The moment I tell them it's time to turn off, you'd think that my entire mission in life was to steal all good and joy from them. They could be on the tail end of like a three-hour binger. And I call downstairs, hey guys, it's time to turn off. And they're gonna go, what? Why? It doesn't matter. Like it could be five hours. It could be six hours. It doesn't matter how long it is. And, And here's what they miss. The decision to have them turn those screens off is a reflection of my caring and protective heart for them. Research would show that spending all day in front of a screen has profound negative effects on their still developing minds. So as an act of love, we limit it. And we're not like Nazis about it. I mean, you just heard me say, like sometimes we let them play for three hours. That seems like a lot. 
but it could be nine (laughs) and there would still be a rebellion on my hands every time we tell them to turn off. To them, even though I intend it as an act of love and it is objectively an act of love, it feels to them as though it's restrictive. All they feel is the conflict between their desire and my decision. And that conflict distorts their understanding of my heart toward them. And we do the exact same thing with God all the time. Think about this. How often do we respond incorrectly to something that God means to gain our trust and to take us deeper with him all because we don't believe his heart is always for our healing? The answer is a lot. And so that means we need a couple of things. Number one, we we need a solid, biblically informed theological grid through which to understand God's character and nature. You need to know what God's actually like. Not just you off in a field smoking peyote, coming up with your own ideas about that's how cults start. We need a biblically informed, like God, one of the great gifts that he gives us is he goes, hey, you guys don't need to guess at what I'm like. Let me write it down and give it to you. And so we need to be a people who are in the scriptures, allowing the Bible to inform who God is, who he says he is. Think about how frustrating it is to you when someone invents their own perception of who you are and what you're like, and it's not true. It's the worst, right? Humanity's been doing that to God for thousands of years. And so what I would encourage, a couple books. We, I mean, one of the great gifts of the, the time and history that we live in, we have an, a limitless number of resources available to us. So if you've never really had an opportunity to study the character and nature of God, what scripture says about who he is, a couple of books I'd recommend. A.W. Tozer's book, A Knowledge of the Holy would be a great, it's a small book, not super hard to read, Knowledge of the Holy. Another one would be uh, two books by a woman named Jen Wilkin. They are specifically written to women. Guys, I would highly recommend that you read them because they are exceptionally well-written books about the character and nature of God. They're by Jen Wilkin. One is called In His Image. The other is called None Like Him. In His Image, None Like Him. Highly recommend that you allow the scriptural truth of those books to inform your understanding of who God is and what he's like. So that's the first thing that we need. The second thing we need is we need good contemplative practices in our lives. And if the idea of contemplative practice is uh, is unknown to you, these are nothing more than spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, like prayer is a spiritual discipline. These are just spiritual practices that are designed very specifically to help us slow down, which we need in our culture, to help us slow down and actually experience the truth of God's heart for us. Not just to fill the left side of our brain with more information, but to also meet us in the right side of our brain so that we can experience these truths as being true. So things like silence and solitude, Lectio Divina, the examen, breath prayer, spiritual direction, all of these are specifically designed to help us slow down and experience the truth of God's heart for us. So the first thing we learned from Israel is that fear forces distance in relationship with God. The second thing that we learn is that we have to understand God's heart toward us 
And then thirdly, and this is where it's going to get a little uncomfortable, so I just want to prep you for that. Intimacy demands entering the darkness of the unknown. Intimacy demands entering the darkness of the unknown. Like Moses, we too must summon the courage to enter into the very things that fear forces us to avoid. And there's no, you're not going to life hack your way around this. It's just hard. God's inviting you into the very thing that makes you uncomfortable. And so that's going to, again, mean a few things for us. It's going to mean if we just kind of reverse engineer everything that we just talked about, it's going to mean we really need to specifically identify our fear. Okay, that's the first thing. And so this week, I want to invite you to something. Okay, this is just a you and God thing. I want to invite you to find some time and space this week to sit quietly with the Holy Spirit. And I want you, rather than just like talk at him, which is the way that most of us have been conditioned to pray, I want you to to sit with him and I want you to ask him a question and then quietly listen. Here's the question I would invite you to ask. What is the specific fear that is keeping me at a distance from you right now? And then wait. And maybe you need to bring that question a few days in a row and really take some time with it. What fear is keeping me at a distance from you right now? And then listen and wait. First thing, we have to identify our fear. Secondly, we have to choose to embrace God's heart. Choose to embrace God's heart. Consider how the scriptures tell us that God's heart is contrary to what our fear says. Like fear, I hope you know this, unless you're like, in the sense of like, sometimes fear is a good thing. If you're being ch- like chased by a mountain lion and you feel nothing and you're like, well, this is going to go great for me. <laughs> you've, you like need to see a doctor, okay? Like a neurologist, something's like super broke inside your brain. You should feel like God gave fear for that reason to be like, well, that's a mountain lion. I need to run. Is that what you do? I don't know. Do you play dead? Bears and mountain lions, one, one I think you're supposed to play dead. I would say run like your life depends on it, okay? But... <clears throat> Talking, looking at this from what we're talking about here, fear is a liar. It's telling you things about God that aren't true. So where fear says that God is condemning, the scriptures tell us that Jesus is compassionate. Where fear tells you, you know, God's going to reject you. The scriptures tell us that Jesus welcomes all of us. Every broken, imperfect, wounded part of us, Jesus goes, I know. I'll heal it all in time. But healing and fixing is not a prerequisite to me welcoming you. So just come to me. But fear tells you the opposite. Where fear tells you that God is disappointed with you. Do you ever feel that? Just have this sense like, I don't read my Bible enough. I don't pray enough. I'm not in church. I'm not serving enough. And I just feel like God's disappointed. That's a lie. God's not disappointed in you. The scriptures tell us that Jesus delights in you. That doesn't mean there's not anything in you that God wants to work on and heal and change. But God, because if you are a Christian, you are in Christ, he's not disappointed with you. He delights in you. Like just sit with that for a second. So where do you need to embrace God's heart? And then finally, we have to actually enter the unknown. It isn't enough to just simply acknowledge cognitively that what scripture says of God is true. Most Christians in my experience do know what is true about God. 
The problem is one of experience. We don't, in our hearts, emotionally believe that these things are true. And so we have to choose the courage to actually relate with him as if what he says is true about himself is actually true. Last summer, my wife and I were in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. And one of the coolest things that we did was visit the Capilano Suspension Bridge. And if you ever get up there, I highly, highly recommend it. If you've never seen it, it is 140 meters long, which I had to look this up because I don't really understand meters. It's like a football field and a half long. So it's a very long suspension bridge. It also sits 70 meters above the Capilano River. And so basically how that math works out is it's like super long and it is super high above the ground and it's pretty narrow and it swings quite a bit. So it's pretty, pretty nerve wracking experience. But here's the thing, this bridge gets on average 1.2 million visitors every single year, which is like a lot of people. And there's only one way on and one way off. So that means if I'm not great at math, but I'm pretty sure 1.2 times two is 2.4. Does that check out? I never, I didn't come here to teach math, okay? So don't judge me on that front. <laughs> Roughly 2.4 million times a year, there's people walking across this bridge. And here's the thing, it's never fallen. Not one time has it ever fallen. But I'm telling you, when you walk up to it and you see the length and you look over the edge and you see the height and then you see it start to swing, I, I challenge you to step up to that bridge and not think, I'm for sure gonna be the one person who dies on this bridge. It's going to fall with my very first step. So it is impossible not to think that. And it is not enough to just simply stand at the start and to think, I know this bridge won't fail, but I'm going to go ahead and get back on the bus and I'm going to go home. That's, that's not enough. Until you take the leap of faith, until you take the actual step onto the bridge, you won't truly experience what you know to be true. And with God, it's the same. Entering the darkness of the unknown means walking into the very space that fear tells you to avoid. So that's going to look different for all of us based on what our particular fear is. For me, starting back in 2019 to end where we finished, it's, it, it meant learning to both face and to sit with God in the wealth of unprocessed pain and trauma from my past. I just had like this mountain of unprocessed painful experience that I just ignored my whole life. And for me, what God was inviting me to was to face that and to sit with him in the midst of it. And that's something that I'm still doing today. But for you, it might look totally different. For you, it might look like embracing some uncomfortable invitation from the spirit, choosing to forgive a resentment that you've been holding on to, choosing to surrender control in some specific area that you just will, you're like, God, I'll give you all this, but this is mine. I'm going to hold this back. Make no mistake. That's the darkness he's inviting you into. For you, it might still be different than that. It might just mean trusting God enough to press into him more deeply, despite your fear that he's going to reject you. And so the question for you to discern with the Holy Spirit is what would it look like 
for you to enter the unknown and relate with God on the basis of what he says is true about himself. Now, I know that a lot of that is, uh, it's not like super touchy-feely, fun stuff. That's not really my thing. If Dave invited me here for that, he asked the wrong person to come. So I know that so much of that is really, really hard. And so I do want to close with some really, really good news, okay? First Timothy chapter two, verses five and six, Paul says this, there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So here's the good news of that passage. Paul was telling Timothy that, that you and I don't need a Moses to stand between us and him. You don't need a pastor. You don't need a priest. You don't need a pope. You don't need a bishop. You don't need anyone to stand between you and God and mediate your relationship. That is not to say that spiritual leadership is not a good gift from God, but you don't need any person to mediate your relationship with God. God wants direct relationship with you. And here's why this is such good news. As we've seen, the issue of fear forcing distance is not new. It's not original to us. Again, it's as old as Eden. But Jesus wanted his heart so crystal clear that he gave his life so that we could experience real relationship with him. Relationship marked by forgiveness, relationship marked by healing, relationship marked by wholeness. He entered the ultimate darkness so that we could face our own and find him there. And so by God's grace and with his help, I want to invite you to take the journey from distance to deeper intimacy together. And we do that by inviting the spirit to help us identify our fear, embrace his heart toward us and to enter the unknown. And I would love if we could take a moment here as we close to just pray and ask that the spirit of God would give us the grace necessary for that journey. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you again for this time that we've had. I thank you for the gift that it is for us to be able to gather together. We went through such a long season of time that we were not able to do that. And so I just pray that we would never take for granted what a gift that it is to be able to gather together in your presence as a church. And I thank you for this church in particular. I thank you for their generosity towards so many other churches in this very difficult place to be a follower of Jesus. And I pray your blessing on them. And Lord, the most profound expression of your blessing that I pray for them is an ever deepening experience of your love, your mercy, your grace, and your healing. I pray that they would know you. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to them any fear in their life that might be driving distance between them and you. I pray that you would speak truth to the lie of that fear and that you would give them the grace to embrace what is true about you, to embrace your true heart for them. And that with you, in front of them, behind them, beside them, surrounding them, they would enter into that darkness and find that you are even 
there. Lord, I pray that the days, the weeks, the months, and the years ahead for each and every person listening here would be an experience of the deepest relationship with you that they've ever had. We know that you want that. We know that you can walk us toward it. And so we ask that you would. We pray this in Jesus' name. And in one loud voice, everyone said, amen. I wanna invite you to stand together as we lean in to God now and lift our voices in song to worship him.